morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to two places. I want you to open to Hebrews chapter 10 and to the book of Habakkuk. Um, It's a small prophecy. Do not be ashamed to use your table of contents um, because it's one of 12 minor prophets that are in the Old Testament. And so don't be ashamed to use the table of contents. But I want us to start off in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And as you're finding your way there, I just want to say thank you to Corey Barnes uh, for for coming in last week. I I think that I hope you see the benefit of having multiple pastors that are able to teach and to preach God's word and, and how that is a great assistance, not only to the church, but also to the pastors. Um, so I'm so grateful, brother. Thank you. We, if Corey was scheduled to preach this week, and I was going to be preaching last week, so we just flip-flopped um, in order to keep going through God's Word. And so I'm so grateful to be in this passage today and trust um, that it's going to meet you right where you are, uh, that, that today's message is a timely word for you, because um, I know it is for me, because it's all about endurance. It's about continuing to go. And I don't know about you, but I feel tired and I don't think it's just because I've, I've had COVID four times. Um, I, think it's, I think it's bigger than that. I, I think that there's just kind of a, a complete atmospheric you know, pressure on all of us that weighs in from lots of different angles, work, family, um, just the effect of things that we probably underestimate like social media and constant news and all those sort of things. So there's just all of these things that are altering us and shaping us and weighing down on us and it makes endurance difficult. And the reality is, is that you and I, for the most part, have not even really experienced what would be considered persecution for our faith. A lot of the stuff that we're going through is, is other difficulties, um, societal and social and, and maybe even like personal kind of struggles that are going on. But by and large, when you look across the landscape of history, as well as the current shape of things in the world today, you look at America and you don't see persecution like you see it in some North African countries where believers die on a daily basis. I mean, you don't have to even travel that far in order to get to some of the most difficult places in order to be a believer. But there are pockets, even here in our experience, where standing for your faith, just stating biblical truths about things like marriage or about sexuality, about gender, those sort of things are becoming increasingly costly. Just to be able to say, you know, I just believe what the Bible says about this could cost you your job. It could land you in the HR department in a hurry. And so there's all of these things going on around and God is speaking to us actively from his word today about endurance. He's speaking to us because we look at those things and we say, that's not fair. It's not fair that, that it's okay to believe this, but, but it's not okay to believe this. And I can lose my job as an accountant because I believe this about marriage or I believe this about gender. This is an injustice We're not the first people that have questioned and struggled through injustice, and we're going to see that in Habakkuk. And we're going to see it right here in Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to start off reading here, and I want to invite you to to stand for the reading of God's Word from Hebrews chapter 10, and then I'm going to turn over to a key verse in Habakkuk that I hope that we'll take away today. But hear the Word of the Lord, beginning in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence. 
which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And now I invite you to turn over to Habakkuk. In chapter two, verse four, we read these words, but the righteous one will live by faith. Father, today I pray that as we journey through your word and we consider that we are in the long line of those who have grown weary, who are tired, who look at the difficulty of what it means to remain faithful to you and begin to shrink back. May we be reminded that we are not of those who shrink back and fall away, but we are of those because of your grace and because of your power and because of who you are that have faith and are saved. So Lord, strengthen us today through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. The reason I start in Hebrews this morning is because there you saw that quotation that then I turned back to Habakkuk and read that the righteous one will live by his faith. And that was a central idea that the writer of Hebrews, hundreds and hundreds of years removed from Habakkuk, was holding out, holding out a promise to God's people that were going through great difficulty and saying and reminding them the righteous one will live by his faith. You need this reminder, the righteous will live by his faith. But what was the context in which Habakkuk was speaking these words? Very quickly, you and I, as the people of God today, say, well, the righteous will live by faith, faith in Jesus. We, we, we have faith in Jesus, and that's how we live our lives. And so we quickly jump to that, but Habakkuk was not writing in a time when it was understood exactly what these words would ultimately mean. They were having to claim promises and believe by faith something that they could not see at all. And they could not even have perceived if someone had told them. Both in terms of judgment, but also in terms of salvation. And so today, as we turn to this book, I hope that you will find a companion, Habakkuk, to be a friend to you. One who sometimes happens, as in social media, have you ever had that experience when you're feeling things and you're, 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 you know, there's, there's something that's gone on in the news and, and you just don't have the words quite to capture it and to say it, but then you see somebody that does and you're like, yes, yes, this, this, this is how I feel. This is what I'm saying right here. And so you share that post because they have captured perfectly exactly how you feel, that if you had taken a bunch of time, you still couldn't have found the words, but this is how you feel, Habakkuk. I hope that to you and to me today will be one who captures the words, because it's not even God. I mean, because it's not even Habakkuk who's speaking, it's God, and God gets you. He gets you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where I am. And he is able to give us the very words that then we can repost to him, to say to him, God, yes, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. And so today what we're gonna see is this truth emerge, that there are two tests of our faith and they are injustice and waiting. Two central tests of our faith 
are going to be injustice and waiting. And so we see it unfold in the, this, this writing of Habakkuk. And so what I want us to see is these tests and these truths. We've named this sermon series Major Truths from Minor Prophets. And so there's going to be two main truths that we walk, or three main truths that we walk away in the midst of four tests that I want us to see. And so the first test, if you're taking notes today, the test number one is injustice among God's people. Injustice among God's people. I mean, try this on for a second. What gets to you more than anything else? Is it the injustice that you just see in the world today where evil people are treating evil people with, with wrong intentions, wrong actions, withholding what is right, all those things? Or does it get to you more when someone who says, I'm a Christian, treats Christians, brothers and sisters, with injustice? I mean, even within our own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, we've recently gone through these different realities concerning sexual abuse and, and, and how that sexual abuse was handled. That, that women many times coming forward and saying, I, I've been sexually abused by a minister. That for many churches, that was just swept under the rug and those reports were just dismissed. And as we've continued to try to get health within the Southern Baptist Convention, we've realized there was even more than we knew. There were more instances of sexual abuse and cover-up and sweeping it under the rug than we knew. And while not all of it could be prosecuted in a court of law, it was still wrong. It was still wrong, and it's that sort of injustice that that's not right. It's not right for a man of God, a pastor of a church, to treat someone that way and then just to dismiss them and to punish the victim. That's what drives more believers away. That's what causes more believers within the church to say, man, I don't know about this anymore. If this is how it is inside, then I feel like it's better on the outside. And that's exactly what Satan wants you and I to believe, is that there is a, a better existence without him. It's the exact nature of the temptation with Eve that God's holding out on you. What's needed is purification. What's needed is salvation. What is needed is the Lord. Men and women needing to repent and to turn away from their evil actions. Some of them needing to be dismissed from the positions of leadership that they hold. All of these things need to happen. What doesn't need to happen is for you, the one who's questioning injustice, to leave. And we see that with Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk, here at the beginning of Chapter one, he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. You see the lament. He's looking around at the people of God and he's saying, there is nothing but injustice here. There is perversion of the law. Your people are not doing what they ought to do. And this is the test of faith that Habakkuk finds himself in. I hope that in those words, hearing his honest plea to God, look how he's speaking to God. God, you're not answering. 
God, I'm crying out to you, but it doesn't feel like you're seeing what I'm seeing. I hope that you're finding a companion if you today are looking at the church of God and saying, this isn't right. It's not right for a pastor to exploit a congregation for personal gain. It's not right for there to be sexual abuse and cover-up in churches. It's not right for, for pastors to live in luxury while, they're, while their congregants waste away in poverty. It's not right. And we look at these things and Habakkuk says to the Lord, God, it's not right. But then notice what God says. And this is the truth that we need to really put down in our heart. God deals with the injustice of his people, but in ways that we least expect. God deals with the injustice of his people. God sees the very thing that you see and it bothers you and it makes you even tempted to leave the church and to leave the people of God and say, I just give up this whole God thing. God says to you, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Now, let me just go ahead and say, that's the verse you've seen on a pillow, okay? That's the verse that we tend to run to and to use and to say, man, God's gonna do something awesome. But in this context, in its original context, while it was going to be awesome, it was not awesome in the way that you would expect. It was huge and great and, and all of these things, but totally unexpected. Because then look at verse six, the context. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. And the audience that's hearing this or would have been reading this and Habakkuk is part of his, is the, is the Israelites, part of Judah. And so he's, he's looking at this and, and he's like, I'm sorry, you're, you're raising up the Babylonians? You're supposed to be overthrowing the Babylonians. And God says, I am raising them up. And then look, he says that bitter, impetuous nation. In other words, God's saying, I, and it's not that I'm even confused about who they are. God's saying, I, I see them perfectly well. That, that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Let that be a warning to, our, to us in our culture today that if we just invent, if we just invent what justice is and what power is, then we will end up looking like the Babylonians. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more, fiercer, and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from the distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. This was not what Habakkuk expected. He wanted to see God's people punished. He, he, he wanted to see justice emerge. God, don't let the wicked get away with this. And God says, I'm not. I'm not. But the way that God brings forth his justice and allowing there to be punishment of his people was by raising up these wicked Babylonians who would then come, and we know the history now, we're on the other side of this, we know that's exactly what happens, that the Babylonians do come and they overthrow the people of God and they're taken away into exile and for 70 years they're in anguish there before they're finally able to return to their land, but it's never the same. 
It's never the same. So we see all of this emerging. God dealing with the injustice of his people in ways that we least expect. You see, the equivalent of this would be like this. It would be like us in America looking around and saying, you know what, we, ha- we still have struggles and difficulties with racial equality. The, the way that we treat people, not only just white to black, but other races as well. People that immigrate to our country, the way that they get treated isn't okay. And so then to, to bring us up to speed to help improve the conditions in the United States, we bring in Qatar, who the U.S. News and World Report says is the worst nation in the world for human rights, especially concerning racial equality. Up to 90% of Qatar's working class are from other countries, and over 2,600 people died, workers died building the stadiums for the upcoming World Cup because they don't care. They don't care if someone falls to their death building something. You just replace them with another migrant worker. It doesn't matter. And you and I would look at that as U.S. citizens and say, well, no, 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 no. This nation has nothing to teach us. You know, Qatar is not the example that we need to be learning from and them coming in and and teaching us. And that's what the people of God are saying. This is what Habakkuk is struggling with. He's like, no, 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 no. A more righteous nation than us should rebuke us, not a more wicked nation. And so in this moment, God is raising up these Babylonians and he's dealing with injustice in a way that we least expect. And hold on to that truth. Hold on to that truth and think about it and ponder it as we begin to look at how God dealt with the injustice of God. I was turning to look at the cross. It's not there this morning. (laughs) Should have checked before the sermon. (laughs) Test number two. All right, here we go. Test number two, injustice seemingly from God. Injustice seemingly from God. So God says, I'm gonna raise up the Babylonians. I'm gonna do this thing. This is how I'm gonna deal with the injustice of my own people is I'm gonna bring the Babylonians in to be the rod of my punishment. So then Habakkuk looks at this and he says, but are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them up with a hook catch them in their dragnet and catch them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? You see, this is the second test that Habakkuk finds himself in. It's like, but now it looks like God is unjust. That God's ways are not in accordance with what I would think God's ways are. That God using these these wicked Babylonians to punish a people more righteous than them. And if you are just curious, were the Babylonians really that bad? Yes. All of history records, yes, they were that bad. The things that they did, not only to others, their enemies, but to their own people, was not even worth mentioning from a pulpit. 
It's important for us to see that truly this was a question, why, God, would you allow these things to happen? And that may be exactly where you find yourself today, questioning, God, why? God, why? Our brothers and sisters in places like North Korea, where when you look at a a map that, that shows light, literal light, like lights on, street lights, all of these things, and you look at North Korea at night, you see just a dark place. And that darkness with literal light is reflective of the darkness that is constantly oppressing the people of God there. Brothers and sisters whose lives look much more like Hebrews chapter 10, who look much more like the people of God in Habakkuk's day that would be pulled away into exile. Brothers and sisters who right now are looking to God and saying, God, why would you raise up a tyrannical leader who just wants destruction, who threatens war to every nation around him? Why would you allow him to be in control over us? They're looking to God. They're looking and they're asking why, but I know that many of us are asking why. When we see policies and and different things being handed down in government, laws being passed, things being done, we say that's not just, that's not fair. These things ought not to be. And then we look at passages even like in Romans where God establishes himself as the one who puts leaders in place. And we wrestle with it. God, I don't understand why this leader is in position, but why this leader has power. We wrestle and we wrestle and we wrestle, and it's a test of our faith, the injustice seemingly of God. But then we enter into a more significant test because what we want right now in this moment is a remedy. We want quickly to move out of that, God, I don't understand your ways. God, your ways are not what I anticipated. We want quickly for chapter two to open up with a remedy. God saying, here's how you can trust me. It's fine, and we want a quick remedy, but the quick remedy does not always come. The quick remedy does not always come, and we want, I want you to see that in this passage, he goes from one test into the next, and the next test may be the most intense, and this may be the test that you find yourself in right now. Habakkuk waits. He waits. He waits. Look what he says. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. He doesn't give up the guard post. He doesn't abandon the lookout tower. No, he stands at watch. He remains on duty. As we're called to in Ephesians, he stands firm. He's waiting. And this waiting, this little moment here in Habakkuk is meant to create an even deeper tension of waiting. And that may be the greatest tension of your life right now is that you know certain truths to be true, so you're holding on to those, but you are waiting to see. You're you're waiting right now for a child, an adult child that has gone off the rails, has gone their own way, is doing their own thing. You're waiting right now just begging God that they would return. That they made a confession of faith earlier in life, but now they have gone completely away from that and you are just hoping against what seems like a hopeless situation that they will return to God. 
you're hoping right now that you can persevere in your faith because you've lost someone and the days seem excruciatingly long and you wonder truly, can I keep standing and waiting for the promise of God that the dead in Christ shall rise and that death is not the end right now. It feels like everything that I face in this moment. Can we keep going? Can we keep persevering in these moments of waiting? Because what we wanted to see right there and what Habakkuk wanted to see was a quick answer from God. God, why? Well, here's why. Sometimes, sometimes the answer does not come quickly. And we don't know the exact sequence of when Habakkuk was written. There's a chance that it may have been written over a long period of time, kind of Habakkuk going through a long faith journey. And I think that can be helpful to you and me because sometimes it feels like, well, man, he just sat down and wrote this out. He had questions, but he figured it out intellectually really quick and and tied a bow on it in one evening. Probably not. This may be the compilation of different visions, different oracles that God gave to Habakkuk over a longer period of time. And that's comfort to me, and I hope it's comfort to you that God's with us in this long journey. And that somebody is gonna one day look back at our life and it's gonna be nice and concise and all bound up maybe in one form. But today it's long, and today we wait. But truth number two comes, and God speaks finally. The Lord answered me. Isn't that good? The Lord answered me. And look how the Lord answered him. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that anyone may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and I will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. God's saying this will happen. You can write it on a billboard so that anybody can see it. This will happen Look, his ego is inflated, speaking about Babylon. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. This was not the billboard probably that the people of God wanted to see. That the righteous one will live by his faith. But you remember this, that Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, he he heard God speak this promise of descendants and of a land and all of this future and all of this promise. And he says that he looked up to the sky as God said, so will your, your descendants be as numerous as the stars in the heavens and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And God said these things to Abraham and it, and it said that Abraham believed God. And that it was because of that belief, because of that faith in God that he was credited with righteousness. And so we see God from the very beginning, from the beginning of the people of God all the way into the New Testament that the righteous will live by faith. The writer of Hebrews speaking to the people of God saying the righteous will live by faith. It's always been this way. It's always been this way. And so you can hold on in the midst of what you're going through that the righteous one will live by his faith. And then God goes on, and I'm not going to read it at length, but summarize. He goes on to clearly indict the Babylonians, to clearly say, I'm not going to leave the wicked unpunished. One day the Babylonians will fall, and that's exactly what happened in history. You see, we have this incredible advantage to be able to look back to see prophecy told and prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy told and prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy told and prophecy fulfilled. But there's a promise that's been given to you and me 
that in the same way that you've seen him go, he will return. And you and I are that prophecy told group right now. We're having to wait. But everything about God's word moves in this constant direction. Prophecy told, prophecy fulfilled. So just like the people of God then, so you and I today enter into this tension of waiting for the fulfillment of God's word and are reminded the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. But then we move into test number four. Chapter two continues with this clear indictment against the Babylonians. We even see at the end of it that God sees their idolatrous worship and he is going to deal with them. So this is what God speaks to Habakkuk. He says, do not think for a moment that the wicked will go unpunished. And so now Habakkuk finds himself waiting, waiting, waiting for the harvest. Chapter three, verse 17 Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Waiting for the harvest. You see, agriculture was everything in this day. If the plants didn't grow, the people didn't eat. and They would die. There was no ability to easily just import from somewhere else or to go to another major supermarket to get your food. And so, Habakkuk is faced with this reality. God is just. God will punish the wicked. He's dealing with his own people. He's gonna deal with the wicked Babylonians. He's going to bring about justice. He's calling me to live by faith. But today, I look and I don't see any fruit on the vine. I don't see any evidence of God's blessing. I don't see how God is causing the people of God to be provided for. I don't see, let's just contemporize, I don't see a great move of God in the United States. I don't see churches filling up with repentant sinners and and with repentant believers humbling themselves before God. I don't see things the way that it used to be as we look back to some previous era and we all do it, to what it used to be like. I don't see all of the things that I would want to see in a thriving, growing church, the people of God and of our denomination and of missions and all of these things, I don't see it. I don't see it. What will you and I do? This brings us right to truth number three that's like parking in a parking lot and looking at a trailhead. Have you ever done that? There's an excitement that comes with it. Pull into the parking lot of a state park or a national park and you get there 
and you're getting all your gear and you're putting it on, you're putting the backpack on and you're being sure you've got all the stuff, you've been planning for this and you get to the trailhead and there's a sense in which you've arrived, you're there. But there's another sense in which you have done nothing. The trail still awaits you. The trail is before you, that's the work. That's gonna be the difficulty, step after step. Things that you don't even know are coming at you, but at least you know there's a trail. You see, it's a very different experience when you and I just get dropped off in the woods for dead. There's no excitement there. There's no, okay, now what? There's nothing but panic. But think about the experience, both the one left for dead wandering the woods and the one walking a trail are both in the woods. They're both in the woods. They're both covered by trees. They're both having to look to things to provide for them, food, water, those sort of things. They're both in the woods, but one is on a path. And brothers and sisters, you and I are gonna go through difficulty of various kinds. We're not the first, we're not the last that will go through trials of various kinds. We're gonna be in the woods and at times you're gonna be tempted to think I've just been left here for dead. Brothers and sisters, right here in God's word, God makes so clear that worship is the road home. Worship is the road home. Think about the circumstances. Habakkuk didn't do anything different in this moment. Nothing changed, if you will, for Habakkuk. The Babylonians were still gonna be the rod of God's discipline against his people. Injustice was going to punish injustice. God's people were still gonna go into exile, literally be stripped from their land and brought out. There was nothing about this moment for Habakkuk that changed that. But in this moment, Habakkuk finds the path. He finds the road. And he sees it faint as it might be that though he looks down the path and he doesn't see any vegetation, he doesn't see any fruit on that vine, that nothing seems to be life, he can see the faint footsteps of those who have come before him. And that path is a path of worship. And so I just wanna encourage you right where you are, that God is with you in the trial. God is with you in the waiting. God is with us through every injustice that we face, and he has given us a path for us to walk with him. And that's a path of worship. But I want you to understand something significant. See, the reason that that key verse is used in Hebrews, the righteous one will live by faith, is that it begins with faith. It begins with the righteousness that is given to us by God, not of ourselves, but just like it was for Abraham, that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so the only one that will be able to see and to walk the path will be the righteous one. And there is one who has been a trailblazer for you and for me, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the one who came and he experienced the injustice of God's people. But then against all odds, God dealt with the injustice of his people by punishing his own son.
You see, something far more mind-blowing than the Babylonians rising up is God rising up and unleashing his wrath on his own son to take on your sin and my sin and the sin of the Babylonians and the sins of the whole world. That is what we should least expect. And that's exactly what God did. God gave his son for you. He gave his son for me. And today, that's where this journey of faith, that's where that path emerges that you begin to walk is by seeing Jesus. You see, the writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 11, right after verse chapter 10, to talk about faith and those that have walked by faith. And he talks about all of these examples of those who walked by faith before him. But then he finally encourages you and me in chapter 12 to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you can run the race that he's marked out for you. The path, it's marked out. But it's only for those who fix their eyes on Jesus. And so this morning, if you're here today and you've never fixed your eyes on Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to do that today. Say, well, Chad, what does that mean? It means that you take your eyes off of self because I promise you that's where you're looking for your salvation. You're looking to you to do something to get you out of all of the consequences of sin. You're trying to kick every bad habit. You're trying to fix every relationship. You're trying to be your own provider. You are looking to you to be your salvation. But that's who Jesus is. Jesus is Savior, and he is Lord. So what it looks like is just saying, God, I have made myself God. And I confess that was all wrong. And I now look to Jesus to be my Savior and to be my Lord, and I give my life to him. And that journey then begins. But guess what? You're not on the path alone. You see, that's my favorite thing about going down a trail is to be with others. I love to go on a trail with my family. I love to go on a trail in the woods with other men. I love to travel the trail, not alone. We weren't meant to do it alone. Instead, we were meant to do it in community. And so you may say, I want to travel the journey with Jesus but I want to do it in community. You need a church family. That's how God has ordained and created the church to thrive is in community. So I invite you that today you would go to the welcome desk and say, I'd like to join this church. This is where I want to travel the journey of faith with other believers is at this church. That's how you can begin that journey with the believers here. For some of you right now, you're just in that test of waiting. Of waiting. invite us to stand for a time of singing but some of you may need to come and I'm going to ask for Pastor Corey to be right here and I'm going to be standing right here and if you're in the waiting right now as a brother and sister in Christ and you're saying I am waiting right now and it is killing me I want to invite you to come and allow your pastors to pray for you today Father I pray that in this moment of response to your word that the one that needs to give their life to you for the first time they would do it today they would not delay they would not wait anymore that they would surrender everything they are to everything that you God, for our brothers and sisters that are here in this room today and they're waiting on you and the waiting is excruciating. God, may they be encouraged by your spirit today that they might live by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. You respond this morning as God leads.